0: Today, I have a very interesting and special guest. He's a serial entrepreneur. Some people know it as a repeat entrepreneur. He's very experienced in product development, business launches, and fundraising. Matthew Quigley, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you very much.
0: Pleasure to be here. Yeah, man, I was excited to have you because your career path is is an interesting one. And I really want to dive into the path and where you are today. For people that don't know, Matt is the CEO of Stateside Urban Craft Vodka. Matt and I were connected, I guess, about six months or so, Matt. And now we, we recently are doing business together, which has been a lot of fun. The vodka that that Matt makes, which is in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, it's, it's actually amazing, and it's one of the vodkas, I think the only vodka that I had on the rocks that I can uh, drink it like that. <laughs> well, that's what we shoot for. <laughs> no, it's delicious. It really is, and uh, I've been pushing it for you. A lot of people I know have recently just tried it, and they, they agree. It's, it's, uh, it's good stuff. Thank you. You're very welcome. You're a PSU grad. You had a business, or actually Bachelor's of Science in Economics, When did you know you were an entrepreneur and that you weren't going to have a traditional career path?
1: Um, That's a good question. Uh, So, I mean, I think that that it was kind of instilled in me in a very young age. I grew up in a household. My father owns his own company. Um, You know, he's a commercial real estate developer. And um, you know, at a young age, I was just, Honestly, just enamored by that, um, and you know where you know I saw a man who was making his own schedule. You know his hard work and his thought process of putting the puzzle together was putting food on the table and you know keeping the lights on in our house. And you know that was just very inspiring. And I also saw at a young age that that comes with like a lot of liberties. You know, time liberty of being able to make your own schedule and and kind of do what you want. And so. You know, when I went to college, I had not really an idea of what major I was going to get into. I knew it was going to be business. And after, you know, doing all the undergrad, like general requirements, I just knew that I wanted kind of a broad spectrum um, uh, business education. And so I picked economics. Um, But I mean, you go back to the middle of college and, you know, over the summers, I was launching wash your car. We'll come to your house Mm -hmm. and wash your car in the convenience (laughs) of your own driveway type businesses. We'll, you know, buy a a van for 2000 bucks and put a pressure washer in it and go and around and do people's siding. So it was kind of always one of those things that, you know, I was like, well, people need this. Yeah. I I can supply a service. So I think I, I think I knew that early on and, you know, here I am today, I guess.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it was in you early. Is is what it sounds like. Now you started, you were the founder. And this was, I guess, right after college, the founder of Rare Management LLC, yep. which you partnered with a sandwich company. Is, is that was that in Oklahoma?
1: That was in Oklahoma. Yes. So and, and
0: how did you connect with that? And what took you there?
1: Yeah, a lot of people ask me that because being a kid from Philadelphia, that's a big jump to go down and and live in like the South Midwest. Very different landscape down there. But, um, you know, coming out of school, we were, I was looking to launch my first business. I had been recruited by a company out of Penn State called Are You Hungry? Okay, so Are You Hungry makes, well, at the time, you know, they had sandwich shops at Penn State. I'm not sure if they're still around or not. But they Mm -hmm. asked me to take their concept and start building out the franchise package for it. So I said yes. And I did that for almost about a year. And I realized, okay, like, I've learned some stuff here, but I don't want to be working for anyone. So I think I can go out and do this on my own. And all I knew at that time was restaurants because I had just launched a restaurant for another company. So myself and two other guys from Penn State started touring the nation and going college town to college town. I know it's, it, it sounds rough, right? We're just staying in a different college town every night. <laughs> but we ultimately found Oklahoma and, you know, University of Oklahoma, Norman, and it was the right kind of demo we were looking for. We wanted big football. We wanted 25,000 plus kids. We wanted affordable real estate. And we didn't want competition. The We didn't want the sandwich type competition that the Northeast breeds. I mean, you know, just as well I do around here. I mean, Mm -hmm. people are ruthless about their sandwiches. And if you don't produce a good sandwich, like you're no one in in Philadelphia, the Northeast, you know, if you're trying to be in that game. (laughs) And so we knew that we could bring that kind of clout down to Oklahoma and succeed. And so that was my first venture. I mean, I was, I was, you know, making my car payments off of uh, flipping cheese steaks to kids that were, you know, born in Oklahoma and from Texas down there for a, a period of time. Good stuff, and you did that for what was that a couple of years? I started the company with the two other guys from Penn State. I was there for about a year, and you know, it's interesting because as a business owner, you're for myself. I'm always asking, "What's next? Right? What are we going to tackle next? We we got this thing to the ground. Now what? And for that, you know, the minute that I had built that restaurant and we were open and we were pretty successful overnight you know, as far as like a quick service restaurant can go, I was looking at wanting to do the next one. I was, I was thinking about, okay, can we, can we package this thing up and franchise it? And, you know, at the time I think we were very, very young and, you know, you have stars in your eyes and big dreams and whatnot. And, you know, the business partners that I was in involved with, we just didn't, we didn't have the the vision aligned. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And at that point I said, okay, well, this is cool. You guys you know, keep everything that's going on, I'm going to exit. And then I'm going to continue on my own path and figure out my next move. Got it. Yep. Yeah, that was one of my
0: questions is did you just exit or did the business just end up stopping? Got it.
1: Is it still in existence? So the guys, Adam and Cole built it up to a, a few other schools, and I believe they ultimately sold it. So it, never, it okay. never shut down. They built it up to the last one I think they did was in at the University of Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. And, and then I believe they both sold that restaurant and the concept together mm-hmm. to a buyer and, you know, now have alternate couriers.
0: Good for them. Good stuff. And then you were the founder of Smart Store LLC in yep. 2008, yep. and that was in Manhattan Beach, California. You, you certainly get around.
1: So you're just pulling my heartstrings here because, you know, Smart Store ultimately shut down. I wish I could say that Smart Store was a another feather in my cap, but it, it wasn't. And, you know, I kind of look at, at my time in Los Angeles, it was about five years, and the project with Smart Store as as almost like my business school, you know, situation. You know, I I never went to business school, but I, I sure heck of a learned a lot when you have to <laughs> shut the business down that you started from scratch. But... You know, smart store, again, that was a concept that I was modeling off of Wawa, you know, growing up in the Northeast here and seeing the success of that. And, you know, I moved, I took a trip out to Los Angeles and I spent a lot of time just driving around and looking at the landscape, seeing what kind of restaurants they had, what type of offerings they had. And I realized they had a whole heck of a lot of Starbucks, but they had no places that were making dynamite sandwiches where you could just go in order on a screen, Mm -hmm. get out, you know, the stuff that we've come to love about Wawa as, as Northeasterns. And so I said, okay, this is big. I've got an idea. This is nowhere around Southern California. I know a whole heck of a lot of people back East and I want to run with this. So I put it together. I was able to raise the money relatively quickly. It was a pretty tight, cohesive business plan. I spent a good amount of time on it and I had the restaurant background to come with it. And So, I started raising money in 2007, and then the business launched in 2008. So, we all remember 2008. It's a Mm -hmm. year that's gonna go down, you know, just like 2020 is gonna go down. Mm -hmm. And everyone will say, oh, 2020, you know, 2008, we all remember why. And so that hit. So, you know, early staged restaurants, they really require a lot of love. They bleed a lot of cash in the beginning, just like, like any other business, but it, it is very labor intensive, you know? So unless you've got a line out the door from mm-hmm. day one, you know, you're going to have to spend a lot of money to get those customers in the door, convert them into repeat customers, and then reach your break-even point. And so that business was open for seven to eight months mm-hmm. before we unfortunately had to close it. And we took the business all the way to its break-even point in seven months, which is like unheard of in the restaurant industry. Usually people say, oh, it takes two years before you're going to hit break-even and you're going to start to shell off cash. We hit that line, you know, pretty much on the day that we had to shut the restaurant down. But when we turned around and said, went back to all of our investors and said, hey, we need, we need cash injections right now to sustain this stuff. Well, the landscape was completely different than it was when they made the initial investment because a lot of people lost tons and tons of money in 2008. Yeah. Timing so bad timing. Yeah. It was bad timing. And so ultimately we had to contact all of our investors and tell them what was up and shut the restaurant down and take care of our creditors. Make sure you're all good. I mean, let's yeah. learn to anyone that wants to start a business. You know, if you're going to shut it down, you got to take care of the people that you owe money to, because never yeah. have a dream of restarting. You know, need them. You need Yeah. You yeah. Need yeah. So yeah. No, got everything. it. So we closed that and, you know, and it was a lesson learned and, and I, I learned a lot of valuable stuff from that project.
0: Yeah, I'm sure you did. And then you were the founder of Hook Links Bracelet in
1: Santa Monica. So I took care of the primary money raising for that project. It wasn't my, you know, that wasn't exactly my baby. It was brought to me by by a friend that I actually grew up with in uh, and went to high school with and so that was a delve into deep into product development and how to source items from China, of all places, how to get products made, how to get molds made. So Hooklinks was a bracelet that was designed for children that was a kitschy kind of fun thing that would let kids connect with each other. They were these magnetized bracelets and whatnot. And my friend brought it to me. and I said, look, either this idea is going to be fantastic or it's going to fall on its face. But, you know, I think I can package it up and I think I can go around and I can try to raise the funds for it. I was successful at that. And then I said, all right, well, I can stay in here in the driver's seat and try to push this thing. And I did that for a period of time. And I got, you know, got the product design done, got the packaging design done, got it to market. And it just didn't have any legs. It wasn't the right product. We didn't have the right team by any means. The company wasn't funded to hire outside talent to come on to the team. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, at that point I had I had stock in the company and a good way, you know, I thought it was the best exit for myself to to seed that stock back to the company so they could use that to attract another person sitting, you know, sitting in the CEO seat. So I did that as a graceful exit, you know, because I was interested in pursuing additional businesses, and mm-hmm. you only have so much time in a, in a given day to work on you know what projects in front of you.
0: Yeah, no, understood. And around that same time frame, you started the Quigley Group
1: LLC. So Quigley Group was side money. That was a a side project. I have a best a best friend from high school who started a company. Very successful at this point, but started a company and they're giving loans out to variety of businesses, you know, so if you needed 20 grand in working capital, it's fast. It was fast money and it would come back to you based on off of your credit card receivable. So you just tap in. So I had tons of contacts in LA at that time. I had been out there for five years. So I had that just on the side as make an extra buck here. Uh-huh. It was, it was never like a a full-time focus, but the fact that I had the direct line to, you know, owner of a company who's writing loans to tons and tons of restaurants, so, and I had those co- restaurant contacts as well.
0: Got it, and from what I'm reading here, it was identifying new and exciting trends in the service industry. Is that what it was basically
1: created for? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, we were, I was consulting, consulting on the side, and then also helping people with the financial aspect of their business.
0: Okay. Hey guys, it's Nick. I have a short message from our sponsor, MPC Builders. With well over 40 years of combined construction-related experience in both the residential and commercial markets, MPC Builders services the New Jersey and Philadelphia metro areas. Check out our website at mpcbuilders.net or you can call me directly at 856-217-1750 and I'd be happy to answer any questions you have about your construction project. You, actually you were GM for Bluebell Inn. I thought that was interesting because it appears that they wanted to have you join them to really, really for a relaunch. Is that what it was for?
1: So Bluebell Inn will always have a a very special place in my heart. Those are So I'm still very good friends with those guys Mm -hmm. that are in that place. And so I had just moved back to the Philadelphia region. So I'd relocated back from Los Angeles to Philly Mm -hmm. and I hadn't figured out what my next move was going to be as far as what business I was going to get in. And I knew from all my experience, the successes and the failures of everything that had happened since college, I wasn't going to rush into the next one by any means. And so, but I, you know, I came back to Philly, I had all this skill set, and I had a ton of restaurant experience. And and someone in the industry, I forget who it was, had passed along that the Bluebell Inn was under new ownership, and they were looking for a GM. Mm-hmm. And I, I threw my resume in, and I got hired. And so that went from the new owners acquiring that business, and taking it all the way through when they shut the business Closed it temporarily to go through their renovation. So I believe, you know, it's, it's a spectacular renovation. If you've never been there, I mean, it's it's a it's a gorgeous old old historical restaurant in Montgomery County, and you know, the guys that did the the renovation, Cherokee, you know, do some fantastic construction work as well. So it's really breathtaking at this point. But I went in, ran the ship for I guess about eight months or so while I was there. And that's actually when the idea of Stateside started to brew Mm. and handling my daily activities as the GM of, of that business, walking the floor, making sure the customers were happy, you know, all the while kind of starting to think about what my, you know, my next actual move. move. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And then you got into becoming a distiller for Red
1: Cedar Spirits. Yeah. So Red Cedar Spirits, at the time, it, it is connected to Michigan State. So, so I, I had started acquiring equipment and starting to distill in my parents' basement, of all places. <laughs> um, awesome. <laughs> so, the, yeah, the mad chemistry lab in the basement. <laughs> and so I'd started to buy equipment and put it in their basement without them knowing it was down there for a while. And mm-hmm. I was learning what I needed to learn I was reading, I was researching, and I was very interested in the spirits industry. I had initially started to get interested in beer. And when I looked at how saturated and competitive the beer industry was in Pennsylvania alone, and the amount of breweries quickly turned me off. And I, so I transitioned and I started looking at alcohol. I mean, you know, distilled spirit, alcohol, sure. to be specific. Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, well, there's like 300 brewers breweries in Pennsylvania. And, and there's like three distilleries in Pennsylvania at this point, it was very low. I mean, the number is rapidly climbed since then. Mm -hmm. Um, So I started, I started putting equipment in, in the basement and I started distilling, you know, unbeknownst to my parents and or unknown, unknown to my parents. Sure. (laughs) And Red Cedar Spirits was a distillery that was connected to Michigan State University. And I had heard through industry contacts that Michigan State was running students through this distillery that were getting their PhDs in, you know, a host of different areas that, you know, pertain to the distilling industry. But every summer they hire one apprentice. And so I wrote them a letter expressing my interest in that being that apprentice. And I sent them some samples of stuff that I made on, you know, a keg with a copper pipe in my parents' basement. And I got a call that said, hey, we've got your got your letter. We got your stuff. Would you like to come out here and work with us for the summer? And hundred percent. So I moved to Michigan and I started working there. Great. You got some great experience there. I'm sure I'm seeing
0: here. You were involved in production of gin, bourbon and whiskey as well. When is that coming to Stateside?
1: This is true. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, Stateside, we're very focused. We really take pride in that. This is the focus of our company. It's vodka. And that was, that's intentional. I mean, There are a lot of distilleries that, and to each their own completely, you know, but sometimes you can go into a new distillery, craft distillery, and there's like 13 products. And for me as a consumer, when I've experienced that, I've always just wanted to say to the bartender or the proprietor of the distillery, like, what is the best one? Mm -hmm. Like what out of all these forget the other 12. What is the best out of the 13? And so I said in the beginning, you know, if we're going to, if we're going to do that, like we're going to cut through all the the BS and we're going to just master one craft and that's going to be it. it. And mm-hmm. consumers will know, well, they have a gin, they have a, a bourbon, blah, blah, blah. No, they they have one fantastic product and they stand behind it and, you know, mm-hmm the focus would want yeah yeah but I have to be honest I, mean, I really really enjoy manufacturing and making all of those you know making doing gin trials is super fun I mean you're throwing tons of different flavors and at something mm-hmm. and, and different combinations and seeing what comes out and they're all unique so you know it was a very I will say my time at Red cedar spirits now it was unpaid I might add okay was a very romantic awesome part of my life because mm-hmm. I really was, I was getting to do what I really, really wanted to do for my career. And I was getting to make a lot of different alcohols Mm -hmm. every day. was different. Excellent. And, you know, you, you just brought up a point
0: as far as, you know, flavors, are you considering doing any type of flavor vodka? Is, Is that potentially down the road? No, no. Okay. No. Uh huh.
1: You know, we're purists over here. Okay. We love the fact that, you know, people come to us and say, well, this is the first vodka that I've ever been able to just put on the rocks and yeah. drink. Great. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, I get people that say, I've never taken a shot of warm vodka before in my life, and I did with your product, and it was okay. Yeah. I um, could say the same thing. Yep. So we like that. That's what we, mm-hmm. That's what the whole place was designed for. That was what all the years of research for the company launched was, was spent doing. And so we really like that. I mean, we do have, we are starting to delve into ready to drink cocktails. So we have a line of vodka sodas that are coming out okay. in the months. I and mean, then we've got some other products behind that that are also in the slot. Very uh, cool. Um, but that's all made specifically with our finished stateside vodka.
0: Got it. Good stuff, man. And then you were a private contractor, spirit consultant for Pravda Vodka. Mm -hmm. How was that experience?
1: So that is a roller coaster ride. So when you're trying to make it, everything really, really matters. Okay. Because if you don't, you see moments and you have to seize the opportunity. And if you don't seize it, it could pass you by and you could be in a completely different place five years later. You know, it's a, it's a giant fork in the road. I was introduced to the owner of Pravda Vaca. He owns Jacqueline's liquors from Philadelphia as well. But you know, this guy is a liquor magnet, like a, a legend in the industry. And I got contacted or got in contact with him. His name is Sky Cooper. So I got in contact with Sky through a friend, Jason, who was actually working for Sky at the time. And Jason was hiring for a sales rep. And at the time, I was trying to do anything in the liquor industry to uh, continue to learn. That's all I wanted to do. So if someone had a job, I wanted Mm -hmm. to take it. And this was right after I got back from Red Cedar Spirits. So I interviewed with Jason and he said, you're not the sales rep. Like I could hire you, but I feel like you would be bored. And I don't think you're going to really like the job but I want to introduce you to my boss. So I said, okay, cool. So I did all my, I was doing my research and whatnot. So I knew who uh, the man I was meeting and I walk into his boardroom and it's myself and his right-hand man and this guy and his right-hand man and myself. So there's three of us in this boardroom, huge old school, like madmen style boardroom. The, I mean, the, board, the table probably had 25 seats at it. And at the end of the table, you've got a bar that is decked out, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like this thing was built in the day and era when, like, people sat down and had big, long Mm -hmm. board meetings. At some point, someone broke out the bottle of whiskey or the bottle of bourbon. And, like, everybody kept working, but they were still there. High-gloss table. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The whole vibe was going on in the room. All right? So I come in, I, when I met Sky, he, I think he was 82. When I met him, we're going back six plus seven, we're going back seven years now. Anyway, so I come in and I was very, very nervous. And I came in and I introduced myself and I put two bottles of alcohol that I had made on my little still on the table. And I said, you know, Mr. Cooper, my name is Matthew Quigley. I'm an up and coming aspiring distiller. I'm very pleased to meet you. Whatever. I got that out of Mm -hmm. my mouth because I'm like, all right, if I can at least get my like introductory statement out, I'll find my groove somewhere else. And he looked up at me and he said, what is this? Right. And I said, oh, you know, look, it's just a token of my appreciation, sir. Like I, know everything that, you you know, you've done with different brands and your family and it's just like an honor to meet you. So, you know, this is just for you. And I said, I made it right. I made it at home. And so, you know, this is like nine in the morning too. So it's early. And what what does he do? He pulls the top off the bottle, pours it into a cup and drinks it. And I'm like, I'm like, holy shit. This man (laughs) star look at him drinking it's like a Wednesday or Tuesday at 9 a.m right Mm -hmm. so yeah so I'm kind of blown away I'm like what the heck's going on and he looks at me and he goes what did you do to this and I said look you know I said I'm aspiring it's not none of my research is finished I have this idea for air air filtration I have this idea for cold filtration working on these mineral this mineral thing but you know this is just currently like like you know, throwing stuff at the wall and hoping it stick, yeah. you know, where my research is. And so after that, we proceeded to pull out every bottle of vodka that he had in his room and compare them and talk about our tasting notes. And, you know, what Mr. Cooper and I figured out is that we have very similar palates and mm-hmm. we could taste the nuances in the different products. And over the next half an hour to an hour, Mr. Cooper and I became friends. And, you know, a week later, they called me and said, we're offering you your first research and development contract for our company. And a week after that, I was flying first class to Poland to work in the distillery in Poland. Good stuff. And, you know, and so I did that for, you know, I, I was there for a period of time and I came back and I worked on and off with him. For about the better part of a year, on different types of research contracts, all the while I was finishing the business plan for stateside. Mm-hmm. I was connecting with, you know, investors. I had found, I'd found our investor, who's Clement Pappas, our our main investor, who is a part of this company. Him and I had already connected, but instead of him just investing right away, we were working on the business plan together at that point. So. I was working on that and I was finishing up my research with Mr. Cooper. And, you know, that took me up to the launch of Stateside. Great story, man. I appreciate you sharing that. It was pretty cool. (laughs) Yeah. we're Very cool.
0: Very cool. And that's where we're at today. You are at Stateside urban craft vodka and you're going on seven years now.
1: So it's been seven years since the, um, I looked at my, my little brother, Brian in the car and said, Hey, do you want to start a vodka company? And he Mm -hmm. said, absolutely. You know, so he's my business partner. I mean, I, you know, I couldn't do any of this, you know, without him, it's crazy dynamic that we have. He's, he's all on the sales side. I'm, you know, more manufacturing and business development, but, Mm -hmm. but yeah, so, you know, it was two years of development before the brand came out. So it took us two years and then the brand's been on the market for now we just crested had our five year anniversary. It just seems like you guys
0: been around, you know, longer. You were officially established in 2015, correct?
1: The company was established in 14, but. Okay. uh, um, But yeah, but our, the brand's anniversary, the brand came out in October. Mm -hmm. Now, good stuff.
0: Where do you see yourself and Stateside in five
1: years? Where would you like to be? I mean, the world is a big place, right? So we're very fortunate that we've had we're based the company almost has been doubling since we started every year after year and we're really concerned with responsible growth so it's very easy to put your product in a bunch of states at the same time okay there's all th- different types of distributors that are all different sizes that are hungry for young brands, that need more brands, more craft brands, because the big distributors have them. But, you know, we don't exactly want to be partnered with those distributors. We want the big badass distributor that has the muscle that can actually make things happen. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, we've been very dedicated to if we go into a new territory, well, we want to win in that territory. And because it makes no sense to not win in it, you know? So we started in Pennsylvania. We grew naturally into New Jersey. We grew into Delaware. Both New Jersey and Delaware are great secondary markets for us. We grew into Maryland, down into DC. And so the next five years is really just going to be more of the same. It's going to be, Mm -hmm. all right, well, we're going to, you know, if we win in DC, are we going to enter into Virginia? Absolutely. You know, the one big thing that has, has really changed the landscape for a lot of businesses in the past year, just due to the situation we find ourselves in is a lot of businesses have converted to doing a lot of of their commerce online, you know, ourselves included. Mm -hmm. So when Stateside, you know, was looking at the proposition of, well, shoot, like, all the bars are going to close for a period of time due to this pandemic. How are we going to continue to thrive? We pivoted as fast as possible and started setting up e-commerce platforms. And, you know, mm-hmm. now someone in California can click their computer a few times and have bottles mailed to them when we, as we didn't have that, you know, eight months ago. Mm-hmm. So, so lots of things are opening up, you know, the, the big, Players, As far as, you know, the nationwide chains that really control the liquor industry, you know, we already have relationships with and they're actually, you know, our track record of in their home stores and stores around here is opening up, you know, new markets for us with those retailers. We're launching in in 10 stores, total wine and more down in Florida Mm -hmm. in the next month. So it's going to be most likely stuff like that. We don't really see it going international in five years, but we probably will penetrate those large state markets that are controlled by the Total Wines, by the BevMo, stuff like that. Got it. How many employees do you guys have currently? I don't know the exact figure. I think it's around somewhere around 30-ish, 30 okay. 540.
0: Gotcha. And from the many failures and lessons that you've learned from, you know, that taught you what was the most does something stick out that most helped you with your current situation? You know, just a lesson or a failure yep. to where you're at now? I love to hear hear that.
1: So I think the biggest piece of advice I could give to you know, new entrepreneurs that have a have a vision and dream and want to be in business for themselves and whatnot is take it very slow with selecting your business partners mm-hmm. and make it equally slow with selecting your investors. All right. So if you're talented and you believe in yourself and you believe that your skill sets warrant mm-hmm. someone else investing in you and your company and your idea, you also have to have the flip side of the coin is, do you value that investor and what their their skill set and what they're going to bring to the table. Are they going to enhance the performance mm-hmm. of the company or are they going to encumber your direction and your success? And so for stateside, you know, there were a lot of people that wanted to that wanted to invest, honestly. And that was that was awesome. That's a really fun feeling when people say yes, you hear the yes. It's flattering. Uh, sure. But then again, it we didn't want to have fifty people that we were reporting to. Yeah. We wanted one person, and so you know we would not be here today if we did not have the investor that we have in stateside. so he is a dynamic, incredibly smart, calculated, patient business person, and his investment in this company in the beginning so Clement Pappas, let me back up. Clement Pappas and Zachary Pappas invested together. Zachary is his brother. Zachary has a more silent role than Clement. Clement, you know, works. He has two kids now, but 30 plus hours a week on this business or more yeah. from the beginning, you know. And his, you know, just the mental brain power and or horsepower and poison what I've learned from, from him and what he's given to the company has taken us so much farther and faster than I think we would have been if we had just 50 investors that gave us cash. And like I never talked to, or all I did was send them, you know, a monthly report of our numbers. Right. So I think that that is, is what I would tell people is, you know, I learned in the past from people investing money into businesses, but then it only, it didn't really benefit other than the fact that like we were funded Mm -hmm. So if you can find an investor that has a strategic advantage that comes with past the dollar, you know, the dollars into your company, Mm -hmm. I think that that's what you should look for.
0: Yeah. Great advice. So what are you passionate about outside of your business?
1: So I'm an avid surfer. I've been an avid surfer. You know, I surf uh, year round, you know, Jersey Shore Proud. I have a, a very loving fiance. We were supposed to be wed at this point, but just like the millions and millions of other couples that Corona ruined their, their sure. uh, marriage plans, I'm in that boat mm-hmm. as well. <laughs> uh, during, during Corona, there was actually a time where I realized there were so many of us that our plans were foiled. So I was giving out free alcohol to if you sent me your wedding invitation, I would give you free booze. <laughs> so that, that was a fun moment at
0: least it didn't ruin your marriage though. Like, like that also, <laughs> that,
1: oh, no, no, no. that's, that,
0: that's up like good. 65%. It's something crazy.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, we're all good. Uh, good. And, and you know, that day will happen when it happens. Uh, <laughs> but we're, we're, you know, she's, when you find a person that doesn't need, uh, the certificate to know it's real, mm-hmm. then you know, sure. you, you got the right one. Absolutely. So we're kind of in that same boat together. But, uh, but yeah, man. You know, I'm. Um, I love my Philly sports. I'm a, mm-hmm. a big music enthusiast. You know, I can't wait till Corona goes away and we can go to live music and concerts. Yes. And you know, in the winter, I'm. Um, I'm an avid snowboarder as well, so I, I try to stay up on my my extreme sports, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know that, and and then just you know waking up each day and trying to get a workout in, get yourself in that positive mindset before the the real day starts. Amen. Yep. That is most important.
0: Yes, sir. And do you think college helped prepare you for your entrepreneurial journey at all?
1: So I think that when you are 18, you are very young.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I think when you're 21, 22, you're, you're still very, very young. I think that the best thing that, you know undergrad does is it gives you a time to grow up a little bit and it gives you a time to have to learn to make deadlines for yourself you know mm-hmm. for all these years the 18 years of your life you're living with your parents all these deadlines are kind of like made for you right you got to go to school you got to get up at this certain time if you don't someone's banging on your door you've got to come home you got to go to baseball, you know, after, after school, you got to, whatever. It just goes, you still on this schedule that was never made exactly by you. So when you go to college, you have this moment where you actually get to make the schedule and you have to hold yourself accountable. And so I think that that time is very special where you get to learn that you have to make deadlines. And so, you know, I grew up a lot over those four years you know, and I look back and the stuff that I learned in in college, you know, I'm still applying today. And if Mm -hmm. I didn't go and I didn't get that education, then, you know, maybe I would not be as savvy in certain aspects of our, our business here. Mm -hmm. But, you know, that's not to say like, I think I'm middle of the pack as far as like, intelligence, there are super smart people out there that just get it, you know, that are that are just so mathematically inclined that, you know, they're, they're ready to go at 17. They have an idea at 16. They know how to code. They can put a full on comprehensive app, new app website together that, you know, is just burning a hole in their mind and they know how to build the entire thing. Yeah. You know, I'm not that person. I wish mm-hmm. I would, but uh, you know, I, I'm not, I wish I was too. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> now, good stuff appreciate it and hey man I just want to acknowledge you and say I appreciate you I appreciate you know our new our new business relationship and you know the fact that you're here today and you know when I asked you if you'd like to come on you didn't hesitate and you said I'd love to and and it's been a lot of fun I really appreciate you sharing your stories your awesome career journey it's gonna be a good one And yep. thank you again If someone wants to get in touch with you, how would they contact you? You know, you want want to share your website, any social media?
1: Our website is statesidevaca.com. The social media, the Instagram is statesidevaca. Same thing on Facebook, statesidevaca. So it's very easy to follow us. And yeah, I mean, there's a million ways to, to connect. We're also, you know, very, very active on social media. So, you know, if you send us messages, we're going to send them back. You know, if you've never purchased from us in the past, Your booze arrives in three days. It's pretty seamless. You know, if it doesn't show up, we're going to make sure we take care of it because, you know, we want to make sure that every customer is happy and satisfied. So so those three platforms should should get the job done. Sounds good, man. Good stuff. And thanks again
0: for being a part of the podcast. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. You got it. Have a great weekend, man. Talk to you soon. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Constructing Greatness podcast. If you enjoyed what you've heard today, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast player. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback, you can reach me directly at nicholasofac at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening.